report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He lays Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, the latest, well, I guess it's not the latest at this point, but at the time, it was the latest novel in the Star Wars canon, Master and Apprentice. It's the latest novel, it's just not the latest yeah, Star Wars story. Well, it's, it's du- Jedi, Dooku Jedi Lost. Not a novel. The not, audio okay. drama. Well, I mean, <laughs> technically, yes. You are correct. I'm not 100% sure I agree, but fine. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a novel, okay? It's by Claudia Gray, so yes. we're just going to cover it from that point of view. But uh, fair enough. Yes. But it is it is I'm I'm really looking forward to discussing this book. I've been I've been looking forward to it for some time. Um it'll be well, it'll be great. But first, we've got some big exciting 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 news. Um, cool. Yeah, uh, this was oh, about a week. Well, we're a little bit late with this episode, so apologies. But about a week ago, I think, um, uh, Disney announced that their uh, the next Star Wars film. Because remember, they said they were going to take a hiatus for a few years. But the next Star Wars film after the Rise of Skywalker will hit theaters on December sixteenth, twenty twenty two. So that's just a three-year wow. break between the rise of Skywalker and whatever the untitled uh, film will be. Um, it'll be followed by new films every two years. Uh, so that's December twentieth, twenty twenty-four, and December eighteenth, twenty twenty-six. And actually, just today, as we're recording this, Bob Iger announced that the first film—it's unclear if it's—so it's, it's unclear if this is really a trilogy or if it's just three standalone films, but the first film will be directed, uh, will be from, sorry, they actually didn't say if they're they're directing or not, but the first film will be from uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are the guys behind uh, the Game of Thrones uh, television series. I I always thought the rumor was they're doing a new trilogy, so I was hoping that was going to be the case with this, that it's actually a trilogy. So they did announce that those guys were doing a trilogy. Um, Mm Mm-hmm almost a year ago now i want to say uh and as well as they announced that ryan johnson sorry no no ryan johnson was doing a trilogy and they were doing a series and it was unclear whether it was two or three or four more than one but interesting some unknown number i'm assuming that this is their trilogy but who knows what do you what do you guys think about this I'm looking forward to it. I I'm really hoping that if the rumors are true, because it's all rumor and speculation and everything, I think these guys would do very well doing a Knights of the Old Republic version of Star Wars. I think they're the perfect guys mm. to do it. And Kathleen Kennedy has said that they have <sighs> thought about it. Mm-hmm. She didn't use those exact I, words, but that was the. I think they could. I think they. I've never. Okay, I'm probably one of the very few that have never seen a Game of Thrones. Okay, so please don't hold that against me. But too late. Thank you. Um, I, I will take it and I will wear it as a badge of honor. But if they've been able to pull off Game of Thrones the way they are by by doing all the the, I mean all the hype around it, all the 
you hear about all the great storytelling and 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 the visuals and everything about it. If they're drawing in that great of a crowd to the Game of Thrones, think what they could do with Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, I would love that. And yeah, I, we, and we don't know like where this will be set. Right, it could be any era. Right. It could be any time period. Any series of characters. It will not continue the Skywalker story. But aside from that, the field's wide open. Mm-hmm. So I'm very very curious steven um so you know we have a three-year break uh this is yeah. our, the longest break we've had but we'll have between films since uh disney took over the franchise um but they're moving to well, wait, wait, wait when did they take over the franchise was that 2014 wow god was that long ago i can't That's, remember i'm trying to remember um i think it was no it was 2012 uh no. yeah i want to say 2012 yeah and when did Force Awakens come out? Uh, twenty fifteen. Okay, right? so Am I crazy. Same as the yeah. No, I think you're right. Same as the original break then. So a three year break. Uh, ish. Yeah. All I'm saying is I don't technically I don't know if it's the longest, but yeah, it's the longest. <laughs> but okay, so fine. You're I right. don't know if the so first between three between their acquisition, cause... but that's really more of like I would count Revenge of the Sith to Force Awakens as the real break in between. Uh, sure, yeah. But but now they're moving to a two-year model. Instead of doing it every year, they're doing it every other year. What do you guys feel about that? How do you guys feel about that? I, I'm looking more forward to that than the film that's going to be in the other other year that's going to be in between Star Wars, which to me, I don't care. You mean Avatar. But anyway, yeah. But that's so. not Star Wars. Who cares about no, that? No, it's not Star Wars. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, this is Star Wars. I, I just think also it's Also, the Avatars are like way too late, but whatever. Yeah. But I, I just think it's fascinating, the stories, where they're going to pick up within the yeah. Star Wars universe. And the fascinating point at this juncture of the saga, where it's going to branch off to, because this is complete unknown territory we're at right now. Everything that we've mm-hmm. got so far has somehow tied into the shows that we're watching or, or we're seeing now, the movies we've seen in the past, and going all the way back to the beginning. All the novels at this point have had that as basically their grounding. Now this is going to be a whole new universe within Star Wars. Yeah. It's to me, this is they they're trying to figure out if they can get the formula right. Both in terms of how often do we make Star Wars movies? How do we make sure, sure that they're at the right quality level? Um, how do they make sure that the story is, you know, where they want it to be, basically? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I'm curious to see what happens. But yeah. dude, the thing that makes me is encouraging, I think, is that you know, Kathleen Kennedy said that, I think we talked about this in our last episode, that they are, or the two episodes ago, that they are, um, they're, they're planning out the next decade of Star Wars. And I believe Ryan yep. Johnson and uh, Benny Offenweiss were working on this, so all three of those guys. And I think that's, that's smart, because that's the thing that they were missing, really, was having a good, strong vision for the, the entire arc. Oh, and, absolutely. And I would say, and are you not just the entire arc, but of, of this, you know, the, the trilogy, but really all of the films and how they tie together. And I think that's something that uh, Kevin Feige did really well with Marvel, at least is trying to tie everything together long-term. Mm-hmm. And and I would yeah. hope that that's what they're, they're doing now. And I think, but the hardest thing I would see in this case, what they tried to do with this original trilogy, uh, that this original franchise of star Wars is it's not like a comic book in which you had all these characters that ended up coming in and building a team. It was basically around, three main characters mm-hmm. han leia and luke yeah but i think and the principles 
like you still need to have a story oh, that ties together no, no. and oh that oh that that's very true yeah. but it seemed like when it when it comes to like what marvel's doing and what dc's trying to do is you still have that group of characters but you have a whole bunch of characters are already well known that you can build around that core group within this part of star wars You've got the core group of characters you built from the original trilogy, then you've got the next trilogy, and then you've got this final trilogy. But there wasn't really something that carried on through like Right. Yeah. As you it's said, all brand important. new content. Through all nine films. Yeah. 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 I think I think the big difference here is it's not just about enough time for writing. It's about making sure that they have Oh, I'm uh, I'm gonna call it uh the directors in sync to some degree. Yes. Like they just it's not just does the story is the story coherent across all three episodes? Is it yep. or whatever movies they are? Because it may not be episodes, but is mm-hmm. it? Do we have a thematic consistency between them as well? Yeah. yeah. Do you think they'll and be tied do, together? I'm expecting so. I I would think so. I it it seems like if you were to try and do like let's say a Rogue One and a Solo, I don't think it's going to work if there's not something that actually can lead into because Rogue One worked because it le- it led technically right into Episode Four. Solo worked because it kind of tied into a character from the original trilogy that you saw, you know, carry on. I think when it comes to Star Wars going forward, you need to have that core story before you can have something branch out from it. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that though. I like. Okay. The thing well, I think they need to actually figure out, and the hope, thing I hope they're figuring out, is how do they tell original stories, not offshoots of what we already kind of know and love. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think that was understandable as a kind of their first phase of movies, if you will. Um, you know, going off of hey, we're trying to get all these movies off the ground quickly. But I think right. Solo, especially, I think demonstrated that like the fact that we have a movie about Han Solo is not enough to carry and make it, you know, the runaway success they want. True. And they need a little more resiliency and uh, success with directors and things like that, too, that you know they'll yeah. be figuring out. No, absolutely. I, I agree, because it seems like when it comes to the Disney Plus shows, they they do have, when it comes to The Mandalorian, they have a bunch of different directors on there. But you could, you're hoping at that point they're going to tell their own stories within the universe, but it seems like it's going to be more cohesive, hopefully, than when you have going from The Force Awakens to The Last Jedi to now The Rise of Skywalker, because you have J.J. Abrams basically anchoring the beginning now and the end, and then you had Rain Johnson in the middle. And it seemed like Rain Johnson, yeah, he probably went to J.J. Abrams to get some kind of advice, but it seemed like he t- just kind of took off on his own, and and it's kind of like, it doesn't work that way in the film. TV yep. might be able to get away for, get away with it. Film, it doesn't appear to be that way. Well, each each one I think works standalone. True. But when you try to look at Very them as a arc, I think that's where some of the seams are are, are visible. And so, um, yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's good they're taking their time. It sounds like. Um, also, you know, moving having this break. I think it's always been good to have. I don't know. One of the one of the things that, that's. I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I love Star Wars content. Wait, really? Shocker! Wow. Um, Never would have known that. Well, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> but uh, there's something as as uh, as hard as the wait can be. There is something kind of nice about having a break between trilogies, between movies, mm-hmm. etc. Because it really allows you to anticipate, uh, you know, build up that anticipation. Uh, look back on the last film, um, you know, uh, or films, that sort of thing, and. 
as much as I loved how many movies we've gotten in the last, you know, five, four years, um, it, it was almost like we didn't have time to kind of look back and, and, and really enjoy the movies on their own. It was always like, oh, and we gotta get, we're gonna, here's the next one. Here's the next one. For example, mm-hmm. yeah. at Celebration, um, like Celebration during the prequels, uh, you know, they would have a big, well, I guess they only did one every three years. So my argument kind of breaks down with the Celebration argu- uh, example. But, you know, before uh, like Revenge of the Sith came out, they had so many panels talking about Revenge of the Sith. And even though they couldn't share everything, they could mm-hmm. go into a lot of detail on stuff and kind of talk about how things are made. Uh, or, you know, after a celebrate after the film came out, they could kind of look back on the last film. Uh, Celebration this year, there was hardly anything on Solo in The Last Jedi, right? And the, the same goes for some of the other, um, the, the other films as well, and the other celebrations. And, you know, there's, obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that, but it's kind of fun to be able to have these these books, these uh, documentaries, whatever it is, looking back on a film or kind of anticipating leading up to a film. And you really have time to pr- appreciate it. So when Star Wars comes out, it's an event, all right? And mm-hmm. right now they've been coming out so quickly, you know, the movie launches, uh, you're watching the movie, there's the excitement about the movie, and then the Blu-ray comes out, uh, you know, three months later, and then like three months after two, three months after that, you get the first teaser trailer and then the second, you know, the full length trailer and the movie's here and the cycle just repeats. And you know, and as, as much as I love the content, it's kind of nice to be able to have that break. So I'm, yeah. In some ways I'm kind of glad they're moving to an every two year model and taking a a three years off to kind of reset a little bit. I, I don't think it's going to last. I think we'll be back to a movie every year very quickly. Hmm. I just don't think they're quite ready to, do you guys think these are the, I mean, because this is the schedules through 2026, and as part of mm. this, they announced the full Disney lineup of films through 2026, or, or, or many of them. Do you guys think there's more Star Wars films that'll be sprinkled in between these dates that haven't been announced yet? I would I would hope not. I, I Because, uh, go ahead, Stephen. No, I was going to say, I think there are, but I don't think we're going to see them until... I'd say maybe 2023 at the earliest, and even then I would honestly be surprised. Yeah. So I I get this feeling that I, I'm I'm hoping that you know Disney will sit there and just keep everything to the every other year once this whole three year you know little hiatus hap- is over. But I think at a certain point they're going to be pushing more toward the Disney Plus system because also within the announcement uh, Iger put out recently, Disney Plus supposedly has a third show mm-hmm. for Disney Plus. No word yet of what it's going to be, but he did make that announcement. I think it was yesterday or today or at the same time that made the announcement. Um, yeah, like within the past couple of days. Yeah, it was in the so, same earnings call. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really think that at a certain point, a lot of the stuff may be going that direction. Because I think when it comes to stories, let's see how Mandalorian goes. But my hope for Mandalorian is that because you've got John Favreau overseeing it with all these different directors, you're going to get the cohesive story. They could tell the story and then they could get out done. And then they could go to Cassie Nandor. They could tell his story, tell a couple seasons and then get out done. So I think there, there might be more content coming to Disney plus than going into the theater. And that that's why I'm hoping that the case is they are going to take the every other year approach. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to push Star Wars, I hate to say it, do it through the Disney Plus because you might be able to get a really good story in a short amount of time to watch and then your story's done and move on. Yeah, that's true. That is that is very true. 
And I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think we'll see a lot of that content being moved over to to Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is it is interesting. They they talked about how the Cassie and Andor live action series. So we got the Mandalorian this year. The Cassie and Andor live action series. I believe they said that was. I, I want to say it was 2021. I thought. Um, I, I wasn't this year for sure. But yeah, I, I, th- I didn't think it was next year either. Um, but the fact that we're getting a third series, and they said actually before uh, the 2022 film, um, that uh, that's that's very interesting for sure, and that just shows, yeah, just yeah, okay, so 2021, I just double checked uh, for the Cassie and Andor series, uh, which means we'll probably get two, either one or two shows. It might be 20 uh, uh, Mandalorian this year, Clone Wars next year, right, and then. Cassian Andor 2021, and maybe like fall 2022, we'll have the third series before the December launch of the film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's which, a lot, a lot of content to keep us entertained. Which, if you look at it this way, and this is just again speculating, it would be very interesting that third series somehow ties into some kind of character yeah. that you'll see on screen. Maybe. Yeah. That, that's All speculation. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I guess before we move off off this topic, do you guys think are these series supposed to be one season only? You know, more of the British style. Let's have like a special event series and then move on. Or do you think these will be things that they try to continue? I expect they'll try and continue these. Uh, my biggest hope is they have a story, they tell the story, and then they move on instead of trying to to keep keep telling a story telling a story just for the sake of telling a story i think sometimes for a series it can overstay its welcome mm-hmm. and if it's got a story that it could tell let's say within two seasons just tell the story and be done with it and move on unless there's a character within that show you think it's got a better story that you can continue it on let's say for like a third season and continue it on but just mm-hmm. there's a certain point in which again a show can overstay its welcome yeah tell it and move on. I'm I'm with you, Tom. I think I think the uh, I hope it goes longer than one season. But uh, I am certainly I, I, I really of, do too. But I am certainly of the opinion that when you go, I think the best shows are the ones that go in with an end date, and they say this yep. is the story we're going to tell, yep. and we're going to do X seasons, and we have it you know all mapped out, and we're going to tell a great story. We're not going to add a lot of fluff. It's just going to be let's do the story, and we're done. And yeah. I think those are the best shows yeah i i like Battlestar galactica for that because you knew that boom it had a certain time frame you knew there was an ending they had to get to earth and yeah but they could have spent they could spend as many seasons as they want getting to it though very right. true but but you, I mean, you but and and not to tangent off of this but you go back to the original Battlestar galactica and they went so tangent off before they got to earth it it got terrible at least yeah, this one, but, they, they had it to where they knew it was going to be, it, I hope, they knew how long it was going to be, and boom, it was done. Yeah, but I think there are a number of other series where they actually said, hey, going into it, we're going to have three seasons. Even if they didn't announce it publicly, right? right. they said, we're going to have three, four, whatever it is, seasons, and then we're going to be done. And we're going to we're gonna get to that point, and we're going to tie off the story, and this is, this is the season one arc, season two arc, season three arc, and the story ends. And it doesn't yeah. matter how popular it gets, we're going to end it. Yeah, good point. So... Um, 
but speaking of tie-in stuff, we have one more announcement before we uh, dive into this excellent, excellent book. Spoiler alert for my rating. Um, they, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they. Uh, wow. Del Rey has announced the journey to the rise of Skywalker. It's actually not not just Del Rey; it's all of uh, Lucasfilm book, Lucas books. Um, the uh, journey to the rise of Skywalker publishing program. Uh, this. You know that they've done this for the last few years, last few films, uh, and these will be a series of books that tie into the rise of Skywalker, headlined by a very, very cool sounding book, Star Wars: Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. And this sounds really cool. Uh, quick description: uh, In this journey to the Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker novel, Poe Dameron, General Leia Organa, Ray and Finn must struggle to rebuild the resistance after their defeat at the hands of the first order in the last Jedi. Was gorgeous this, cover. This is, and this is a new writer for the, the star Wars universe, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca is brand new to star Wars. Um, okay. Also, I, so I'd never heard of her before, but I was, ta- I can't remember who I was talking to with, uh, someone actually, I think, I think maybe at work or whatever. And they were saying mm-hmm. Rebecca Roanhorse is one of their favorite authors. Mm. Their wife's favorite author. I can't remember who, who, who it was. Like, so I was I was shocked to see that and really excited because I was already excited about this book. You know, we, we know there's going to be a period of time between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, and this book finally mm. will give us, well, finally get a story with like Ray and Finn and Poe post uh, Force Awakens. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of background does she have? Uh, what kind of science fiction background does she have for writing? Is it? That's a great question. I, I don't know, but she's, she's going to be writing an adult, adult novel. I don't know her well enough, but I do know it's someone I was talking to recently. I can't for the life of me remember who mm-hmm. they're one of their favorite authors. So that's, that's exciting. okay. Cool. Um, that's very good. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, the, uh, uh star Wars journey to the rise of Skywalker forced collector by Kevin Shinnick. Um, this is a, a young adult novel following a restless teenager who sets out to discover what connection his mysterious force powers have to the fabled Jedi and what the force has in store for him. So that now, sounds... that one had a cool cover. Yeah. That had the cool cover because he had the uh, Stormtrooper helmet on his back with his whole backpack stuff. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're also getting uh, the Star Wars Allegiance Mar- Marvel comic series. It's a limited run miniseries. Uh, and fo- it follows, um, you know, on the run since the destruction of Starkiller Base, General Leia and the remaining handful of Resistance have barely managed to survive, much less strike back against the superior forces of the First Order. Running low on options, Leia decides to reach out to her former allies, the Mon Calamari, whose shipyards once powered the Rebels. Uh, so those all look really cool, and I like how we're finally getting stories in between the films. Because Force Awakens and Last Jedi took place so close together, we didn't really get much much in between uh there were a couple books but not much in between and definitely not with our the, the main heroes uh and uh now we're finally getting that there's also a number of other books uh you know for kids and uh, and tweens um uh the, of course uh, uh there's spark of resistance by justina uh ireland uh where um uh Ray, Poe, and 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 uh, Rose travel to the isolated planet of Minfar uh, to 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 rescue someone, and together they will face down the First Order Battalion, terrifying flying creatures, and a weapon that could change the course of war. 
Uh, and then, of course, the usuals, uh, the sticker guides, uh, the making of uh, Star Wars Ships and Battles, and uh, you know, other uh, types of books. But my favorites, The Art of the Rise of Skywalker and The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. Um, so yeah, lots of really good, really good books coming out. I'm particularly, particularly excited about uh, Resistance Reborn, mm-hmm. but they all look excellent. Well, I, I did a really quick thing. I looked up Rebecca Roanhorse. And she is a formula, uh, formula, former, sorry, folks, former winner of both the Nebula and Hugo Award for her spe- uh, speculative fiction and also won the 2018 Campbell Award for Best New Writer. Awesome. Very cool. That's so, awesome. yeah, that's actually, um, that's pretty good. I guess, uh, Trial by Light, Trial of Lightning, Trail of Lightning, sorry. Is one of the best books of 2018 is listed by many publications. She has also written a large amount of short fiction. So it looks like uh, Rebecca, this resistance born resistance reborn looks like it's going to be a really good book. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of really good books. Yes. Hey, <laughs> nice. Uh, we had to get there. Yes. Yes. Uh, Stephen, do you want to give us the, Quick oh, summary of Master I, and Apprentice. I never get to do this. I know. Yeah, go ahead. You uh, figured you, you should do it this it. time. All right. So uh, we're here to review Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray, who, of course, has written, um, at this point, a number of just fantastic Star Wars novels. Basically, name the best Star Wars novels in recent canon, and she probably wrote them. Lost Stars, Lost uh, Stars. Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and I'm blanking on the uh, Bloodlines are the three I remember. Yeah. Do I have those all right? Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so the synopsis, a Jedi must be a fearless warrior, a guardian of justice, and a scholar in the ways of the Force. But perhaps a Jedi's most essential duty is to pass on what they have learned. Master Yoda trained Dooku. Dooku trained Qui-Gon Jinn, and now Qui-Gon has a Padawan of his own. But while Qui-Gon has faced all manner of threats and dangers as a Jedi, nothing has ever scared him like the thought of failing his apprentice. Obi-Wan Kenobi has deep respect for his master, but struggles to understand him. Why must Qui-Gon so often disregard the laws that bind the Jedi? Why is Qui-Gon drawn to an ancient Jedi prophecies instead of more practical practical concerns? And why wasn't Obi-Wan told that Qui-Gon is considering an invitation to join the Jedi Council, knowing <gasps> that it will mean the end of their partnership? I know. Spoiler alert! The simple answer scares him. Obi-Wan has failed his master. When Jedi Rail Avaros former student of Dooku, requests their assistance with a political dispute. Jin and Kenobi travel to the royal co- court of Paijal for what may be their final mission together. What should be a simple assignment quickly becomes clouded by deceit and by visions of violent disaster that take hold in Qui-Gon's mind. As Qui-Gon's faith and prophecy grows, Obi-Wan's faith in him is tested, just as a threat surfaces that will demand that Master and Apprentice come together as never before or be divided forever. Dun, dun, dun. So, what did you guys think? This Easily is. Easily the best Star Wars book I've read thus far. High praise. High wow. praise. Like, wow. I'm trying to think what other books have come out kind of recently that I enjoyed. Like, Bloodlines, I enjoyed. I haven't read Lost Stars, admittedly, and I know that's supposed to be really good as well. Lost yes. Stars but, like, is really good. You're missing I out. I know, I know. Yeah. So you need to read it. I'm reminded every single day sometimes mm-hmm. like, by William specifically hey uh, ask uh, you want to yeah. borrow my copy I'll send it to you no 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 I, 
I just haven't gotten around to it. But all that being said, still the best book I've read thus far. It just does a fantastic job on literally all counts. I agree. And this book for me, I think is, is kind of nostalgic in many ways. Like this is the, we have the 20th anniversary of the Phantom Menace coming up. And I think I've told the story before, but I, I, I got into Star Wars when the Phantom Menace came out. Um, I'd kind of seen bit clips here and there, but mm-hmm. it was really uh, actually in uh, in June, just a month after uh, the the film came out, that some good friends of the family took me to see uh, the, the the Phantom Menace in the theater, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And I learned there was more of them, and I was so excited. And and then uh, not long after, I want to say within like a week or two, uh, I was at a bookstore, and uh, and picked up a copy of uh, Star Wars Jedi Apprentice by mm-hmm. uh, by Jude Watson. Mm-hmm. And th- I just have such, like that was my first introduction to the Star Wars expanded universe. And I just have such a special place in my heart for those, those books. That entire series is just amazing. And while Master and Apprentice, it does seem to negate some things, I guess, that are, now part of the legend that is um, uh, Jedi Apprentice, it it really felt like coming back to that era, right? Because it was all about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan going on missions together. And so it kind of felt like I was going back to the first Star Wars books that I'd ever gotten into. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really special in, in many ways, in addition to just being a, a good book in general. Interesting. So yeah. I, never read, I never read those books. Oh, I love Jedi Apprentice. Yeah, I didn't get into Jedi Apprentice. Uh, um, I could go on and on about those books, but we won't. <laughs> but I, I feel today. like a lot of the yeah, spirit... Yeah, not today because we're supposed to review this one, Master right. Apprentice. But I feel like a lot of the spirit of those books you know, comes comes through. Uh, the the dynamic between Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan, um, the, the the ways they're, they're each tested, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that sort of thing. But let, let's talk about Let's talk about uh, Qui-Gon's special offer to start with. Uh, or very early on in the book, Qui-Gon is shockingly, because we see him as like this rebel, right? He mm-hmm. uh, doesn't agree with the council, likes to go against them sometimes, but he's actually offered a seat on the Jedi Council. How did I- you guys react to that? It's surprising, just to say the least. Um, it's like when you watch episode one, you don't. I was gonna say you don't, you don't get a hint that that happened. Obviously, no. this came a little bit after episode one. Um, but I do, I do like this idea that the council is, I don't know, recognizes that Qui Gon has something unique to offer, basically. And I, I greatly appreciated uh, the, te- like the tension isn't quite the right word, but the tension it creates in, throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This feeling of Qui-Gon not sure if he should join the council or not. Obi-Wan not sure if it's a good thing that Qui-Gon has joined the council or not. Like, it just, it, it made for a good story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and for the but, longest time, you know, Qui-Gon wasn't even sure, so he doesn't he doesn't tell um, uh, he doesn't tell Obi-Wan yet, right? Uh-huh. And, and, he, and all of a sudden, Obi-Wan finds out through the, through the Chancellor and that creates this whole dynamic where you know now Obi Wan thinks does 
is he not want to tell me? Does he not trust me? Is he just going to throw me aside? Cause he can't be on the Jedi council and have a Padawan. So he's going to throw mm. me aside. And you know, there's all of this, you know, uh, kind of unvoiced concerns, uh, throughout much of the book. Mm-hmm. All right. And I would say it's also often voiced too. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. well not, not initially they're kind of more <laughs> thinking it to themselves, but, or, or Qui-Gon's talking to others, but eventually right. they have those discussions together too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at a certain point that was going to come to a head in the book, they were going to have to sit there and discuss it and talk it out, which they ended up doing. But the, the question I want to throw out there is it seemed like the Jedi council knew they needed, um, Qui-Gon to be part of it because it seemed like, mm-hmm. did you get the feeling that the council, the council felt like it needed that, that extra push or punch in there because maybe they were getting too lackadaisical or too, they needed a new voice from what I can tell. Do you guys yeah. pick up on that? Yeah. I mean, I think they recognized that they, they needed some, a different perspective. Yeah. Qui-Gon mm-hmm. offered that, um, which kind of makes them like, Oh, that's, that's really good. They, they, they were, they were trying. All right. And eventually yeah. we see he turns them down, uh, mm-hmm. because he wants to continue working with, with, with Obi-Wan. Um, but uh, I think it just makes for a, a fascinating dynamic where the whole book, he's, he's kind of wrestling with, it. do I leave Obi-Wan and join the council? And maybe you could do a lot of good on the council, but he doesn't want to leave Obi-Wan and it's a great opportunity for him. But then there's Obi-Wan and, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin throughout the whole book. They don't really, Obi-Wan has a, a trouble. They don't have trouble understanding each other. They're very right. different people. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan always feels like Qui-Gon doesn't care about him. But Qui-Gon deeply cares about it. He just doesn't know how to, you know, they, they just can't it, really connect. Well, it, and you could definitely tell that they, sorry, you could definitely tell they couldn't connect, uh, really connect because here you have Obi-Wan that was just so set in rules. This is the rules of the Jedi. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. But when he walks into uh, Qui-Gon's, Qui-Gon's room, Qui-Gon like has little trinkets around of stuff from little little things. And you could just tell that, Obi-Wan's one for rules. You're not supposed to have this kind of stuff. And here's Qui-Gon the exact opposite. Yeah. And I think they, they if I remember correctly, they even had a line later in the book where it talked about how the Jedi often pair them up that way and on purpose yep. such that, you know, they, so they, they kind of help each other and mm-hmm. maybe we'll end up on the right path. Cause if you're, think, if Obi-Wan had worked then. for someone who was very much like rule based as well, right. you know, then he probably would have, you know, if he he'd, if he had rebelled, he would have done it by like breaking the rules. But instead, he became even more into the rules. Right. Um, well, it so seemed so. like if that were the case, it was more like they were trying to find the perfect balance between a master and and his padawan, and that was the balance to where they they could they could one way or another. It was almost like the opposites uh, attract, mm. and it seemed like in this case, especially when it got to the end, it worked out very well. For the two of them, yeah. I, so I will say my I think my one complaint with the book actually has to do with that kind of ending is you know throughout the novel, uh, Qui Gon's not sure that he wants Qui Gon feels he's failed Obi Wan as a master. Mm-hmm. Obi Wan feels he's failed Qui Gon as an apprentice. Yeah, and they're both wondering if this offer to join the council is the opportunity uh, to basically they can both kind of wash their hands of each other and be like, well, you know, it's okay. And at the end of the novel, Qui-Gon's, you know, 
and we'll talk about the prophecy stuff I expect in a moment. But Qui-Gon eventually decides, you know what, like, the prophecies are more important, and I'm therefore I'm going to reject the council's offer. When really, I just it would have been a sentence if just I needed Qui-Gon to be like, I'm rejecting the offer because it's more important that I teach Obi-Wan mm-hmm. than that I sit on the council. Like there was it was they they have their moment where they, you know, they finally click, but they never they were missing that uh interesting that moment of affirmation almost where they uh especially on Qui-Gon's side where he makes the decision of, you know what, like this is what I'm going to like this is what's most important. This is what I'm going to go do instead. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting cuz I you're you're totally right now that you say that. But I as I read the book, that actually didn't st- jump out at me like in hindsight it probably really? should have yeah i just i just i, I assumed like he was doing was yeah anticipating it interesting uh, you're, you're totally right though you are and, very and much the right. book still works amazingly even without that kind of moment like it's one of those things where i wish there's a little bit of subtext there and i wish it was uh i don't know what's the opposite of subtext obviously probably more voiced just actually yeah, voiced I, instead of being sub you know, subtext yeah. actually voice the opinion and get it out there instead of just being the underlying current Right, exactly. But it it does still work at the end of the day. And, yeah, you know, that's what that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, so you you brought up the prophecies. Yes. Let's let's talk was, about that a bit. Let's talk about some prophecies. Uh, this was this was fascinating that he had. Uh, well, I, I think to get into the prophecies, we got to get a little bit into they they went to the planet of the of because they were asked by uh, Avros uh-huh. to go to the planet, kind of help him, you know, look through a trade deal. That, I'm sorry, the, um, why am I blanking on this? The hyperspace. Uh, hyperspace treaty. corridor. Yeah, yeah, hyperspace corridor. And the treaty that was going to be signed. And he needed, a, Avros needed like, let's say a second opinion because he was too close to all this. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and there was Princess Fannery who was that's right, Princess supposed Fannery. to, once the treaty went in place, she was supposed to become basically stepped down. And so instead of becoming the queen, she's like, you know, a child. Well, she, she was. Well, no, wait a minute. She wasn't. No, no, in, no. She wasn't supposed to step down. Yeah, I this think, is. In well, it's true, kind of this. Yeah. Yeah. In true Star Wars fashion. It's not. This is. This. We're talking that much of the book revolves around trade negotiation. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, which, which convert, as you can tell from me, it was a hard spinning all that out because you've seen it an awful lot. It should have been very easy. They, they did it. They did it very well, I thought. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Um, but yeah, like the this. Try to even figure out how to you know phrase it. Uh, well, it, so it there's was, two pieces. There's Zerka, of course, of Knights of the Old Republic. I fame. love that they included Zerka Corporation. I did as well. Uh, is signing a deal with Pyjol, or they know, and I should say they've the been part of Pyjol traditionally for right. many, many, many years. Um, and Zerka's slave owning, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're they're trying to kind of formalize this hyperspace corridor, bring a little bit of trade and wealth to Pyjol as it's been traditionally ignored. Um, and as part of that, you know, uh, what is the qu- princess's name? I'm blanking Fanry. on it. Uh, Fanry. Fanry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Princess Fanry is very young when, um, why am I blank? Uh, when rail kind of is sent to help take over and, you know, help basically make, be her regent. And as part of that, he helps orchestrate this, uh, expansive treaty, that not only is going to help make the hyperspace corridor a reality, but is also critical in kind of transitioning Pyjol from this absolute monarchy into a uh, 
I believe it's a constitutional monarchy is mm-hmm. how they uh, Some, something, the exact, something like that or like, Democrat again a Democrat. It's a more democratic okay. institution. Yeah. I don't think Fanny's gonna lose her she's gonna lose sure. some of her I think she be, she becomes le- more of a um figurehead figurehead than a yeah. than the actual a little ruler. Bit, yeah. yeah. And so much of the novel, of course, revolves around um I, it's been a couple weeks since I read it. I'm blanking. What are the name of the anarchists called? Or are they literally just called the anarchists? No, um, not the anarchists. Well, there were the the guys in the black suits, but it was called. They were uh, performers in reality. Yes, and those yes. people. Hang on. Anybody? Anyway, so I'm gonna call them black suits for the moment. So there. No, sorry. There's the black suits and the. Uh, yeah, they there weren't the black suits. The black suits come later. Hang on. Was it just the opposition? Yeah. Was it the opposition? I think that sounds was, right. Yeah. Let's well, call. This is a professional podcast. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, I haven't. It's been like a month since I finished the book, um, but I know I believe I believe they were the opposition. Uh, it was fairly straightforward. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, please. Continue. Yeah, so you know, this, there's an opposition that is opposed to the signing of this uh, treaty, and uh, then there's another set of people in black suits that are. No one's really sure where they're coming from and what's going on. Um, and, you know, and it's into this environment that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are kind of thrust and have to figure out who's trying to stop it. Why are there these acts of protest, some of which seem fine and others seem way more uh, dangerous than they should be? Um, Fanry is nearly assassinated multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's tough being queen. It's tough being queen, but if I remember correct, it was when you get to the end, a lot of it was all just set up to try. And I think it was the opposition. No, it's sorry. So this is getting there. Yeah, this is the big surprise that I. So Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan go to investigate. They discover, uh, you know, it is, in fact, um, uh, wow, the opposition is not behind the kind of violent acts you know, they're performers. They had all the stuff they kind of planted ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're not behind most of it. Right. They're, it they are out, just protesters at the end of the day. They're which just was surprising. protesters. Right. Because yeah. they build them turned, up to be like this, you know, oh, they're, they're, actually, they're really nefarious and they're, their leader's terrible and, you know, they're trying to assassinate people. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, no, they're just, they're just, they were, they were, they were telling the truth. And it was almost they were yeah. pranksters because I think one of the things they were saying yeah. that it ended up that it was, was it something that happened to do with the balloon or whatever that they set up yeah. first that was yeah. supposed to be the prank, but immediately after that, it was like almost the, the, and I think they were called the black suits were the ones that came in and actually did the riots or did like the destruction. It wasn't the opposition. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so the big twist of the novels, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the person who's trying to destroy this treaty from being signed is in fact Princess Fannery, who has decided that how dare you try and usurp her, uh, I was going to say God-given right, but I don't know, like force-given right uh, to rule Pyjal with her, you know, at her whim. Right. And 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 Rail was just like kind of, you know, and everyone was, Rail, I mean, we'll we'll get to Rail in just a moment, but yeah, she felt like she was basically cast aside. No one believed her. No one thought anything about her yeah uh, and they were just all making decisions on her behalf and she's like you know and and they actually they do a good job laying the seeds of this early early on in the book there's a scene w- from her point of view there's not many of them but there's a scene from her point of view where she talks about how she's um 
frustrated, I think, uh, you know, in some way. And they, they're not super clear, but they kind of hint that she's not happy with the way things are going. Interesting. But despite I, that, I totally it was I was not expecting it whatsoever when the twist came. See, that was one thing I liked about the book was that bit of a twist. You, know, oh, you yeah, could, yeah. It, yeah, it was the, fantastic. Yeah. But to me, the other part of the twist was they were talking about and I, I'm going to get it wrong. And this is part of it when it comes to the black suits, the fake kyber crystal. And the two archaeologists, the one I think it was Pax. Uh, hang on, before well, before we get to there, let's, okay. So <laughs> there's a lot I of stuff. Okay, yeah, you know, sometimes I finish, I like jump ahead a bit, which I, I'm sorry about. Oh, Go ahead. Jump ahead is fine. I want to stay on a single. So okay, the other thing the I greatly subject. appreciated is so Fannery, uh, her one of it's her uh, maid's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, um, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, um, so she had a, a personal servant that's kind of. Was you know she had was a slave of Circa that has you know been serving Fanry for her entire life, um, and Let's it turns see. out that she's the one who has kind of helped Fanry, uh, you know, basically get ready for this kind of big moment and this kind of big revolution where she's going to take back her government. And again, skipping stuff we'll talk about in a minute. There's an uh, an attempted. Uh, escape attempt on Zerka's kind of big slave ship. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an amazing moment where Fanry and the girl whose name I can't remember, which I'm is I'm trying to find it right now. I know who you're talking about. I'm going to get That's there. That's okay. Anyway, so they're, they're on the kind Katie. of... C-A-D-Y. Katie. C-A-D-Y. And so they're, they're both on this ship, on uh, Fanry's ship. Fanry orders that, uh, you know, no, to, like destroy the Zerka ship. That's what we're here for. And, of course, that is not what Katie's there for. Katie is there to kind of end the slavery of, you know, all these people that Zerka has enslaved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I just, I loved so much this kind of, like, uh, dichotomy is not quite right, but, like, Katie's here to help free slaves from Zerka and wants to do anything she can to prevent that from happening. Fanry is there because she wants absolute power, and it's only as, you know, this kind of is all revealed to her, or it's only when, you know, her lust for power is revealed to Katie that she's like, Katie's like, oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. If this is, look, I planned this revolution with you. Uh, no one's going to do this without you. Right. Or right. without, sorry. If I, like, we're just going to withdraw our support. Done. There we go. And just, Fanry has her time as an absolute leader for what, like, 20 minutes and yep. then it's all over. It's very short. Yeah. But I, just, I loved how just, they did that. Like, it's just so unexpected. It, it was fantastic. It mm-hmm. really was. I, I, okay. I loved all, all of the dynamics there. It was just so, it was one of these books that, yeah, I just, I'll be honest. <clears throat> the, the overall plot was, eh, right? Like the, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan story. Awesome. Their ghost sent to hell on this mission. Awesome. The mission itself with, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the cord and everything. Meh, okay. Whatever. Um, mm. but the twist and the dynamics between the characters, all of that was just brilliantly done. Yep. I thought it was there. Um, yeah, brilliantly done. And so, you know, I, I that's what I, I don't know. I, that's why I think I, I was kind of with you, Tom, where I was having a little bit of trouble getting mm-hmm. into, um, you know, uh, like 
fannery and everything at first. But part of the part of the thing that that helped me, uh, we still need to get back to the prophecy at some point. But part of the thing right. I kind of started to get into more was uh, uh, the dynamic with Rail Avaros as well. You know, Qui Gon's former Padawan who basically left. Well, he didn't really leave the Jedi, but he basically took up this permanent position as the the regent of the planet, mm. kind of protecting. Um, well, but if you but if you take it if you take it from the point of view of uh, Princess Fenrir at the yeah. end, he took it up because he did lose a Padawan early on, yeah, and it was almost yeah. like for him a penance that he was able to sit here and, and it's not and, just and to be clear, it's not just that he lost a Padawan, right? His in a in a mission, and it's one of those things where Rail is very uh, loyal, uh, brash. Well, well, brash, he's, correct, he's brash. He, right, you know he. And there's this, you know, they talk about how they're boarding a ship. They had two options. They could, you know, go through the hangar bay or, you know, attack the bridge and lock everyone out. Yeah. And Qui-Gon remarks, he's like, you know, I like you could argue you could go either way. Right. I think Rail went through the hangar bay into the fight because he that's where he would have the most fun, basically. And it got Um, his Padawan killed. And it got Mm -hmm. his his not only does it get his Padawan killed, she's turned against him via like a. They described it as like a, a slicer yeah. dart almost where it, it's hacked her brain in some way. Um, and Oof. Rail is forced to strike her down. Wow. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal. It's so and sad. It's, yeah. It's and, sad, but it also it also sets up his as you could you could kind of put it at like his grief and his determination to help Fenry continue and kind of protect her to get to where she can be cor- you know through the coronation yeah but yeah. also at the same time because of doing that he was leaving out one big chunk and not so much protecting her was a good thing but he also should have been it seemed like teaching her at the same time and letting her start growing herself instead of always being the protectorate right and, and being the one that's running things you know it, it was fascinating to me too that the jedi would basically let rail do this or they would offer rail to like hey we need a ruler we don't this she's too young rail you become the ruler of this planet for like a decade like that's a long time to give up a jedi you know true yeah. uh, very true it's, it's and but is that what the jedi should be doing it's just yeah. But I think to a certain extent, if if I understood Rail correctly, it wasn't so much that he was there to govern them because he really could have taken over the planet as as a regent. I mean, he, he basically was though, wasn't he? He was the regent. He yeah, I mean, he, he, he was control. he was the regent. But I don't think he was he, he was a regent. But he wasn't. If I understood or read the character correctly, I might be wrong. But he could have done a lot more as regent to make you know absolute power over the people. Because to me, the way that I understood it from Fenry, she she wanted him there, but she wanted to learn, and nobody really mm-hmm. gave her the credit. Because in the end, she did kind of say a line that you guys underestimated because I kind of went off to the side. I'm summarizing on this. Kind of went off to the side and started learning a whole bunch of stuff myself. Yeah. Because you never taught me. But it didn't seem like he was the kind of guy that basically had absolute power over everybody there. Well, I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he wanted that. No, and but he did thing. have. I think he have. He has it. He wasn't trying to consolidate yeah. more power, but right. he was effectively the ruler. He was effectively the ruler of the planet for such a long time, right? Uh, which just. But he didn't let it go to his head. That was no, no. And yeah. actually, the whole planet itself was fascinating too. Where it's very much, um, like the aesthetic of the planet was something we haven't really seen 
before in Star Wars, which I, I, I appreciated. It was one where uh, on the outside, everything kind of looked, I don't want to say old and dilapidated, but not not fancy. All right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. un- underneath, the, like the, that was their culture where the uh, underneath, it was just like gorgeous. So like you'd have a table, basic wood, all, not all that fancy. Underneath, solid gold. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, or, or like the ceiling, you know, absolutely beautiful, but everything else kind of boring. It's just a unique spin on, uh, you know, a, a, a aesthetic for a planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So let's talk about prophecies, yes. shall we? Let's. So part of the novel deals with kind of flashbacks to both. Uh, I th- do we get, I think we get some earlier scenes with uh, Obi-Wan, but it's primarily, mm-hmm. I think, scenes with uh, Qui-Gon and Dooku. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we discover that is as a young Padawan, uh, Qui-Gon decides to do this kind of research project on um, the some of the prophecies and holocrons that are down in the Jedi archives. Wasn't it like a forced project at, at, at first? Like, or uh, I, I think Qui-Gon, uh, I, or um, I think Dooku assigned him to it, right? Or something, and then no, he, he learned I, to I love it? He, I'm trying to remember the exact oh, to remember. details. I, I could have sworn he sure was assigned and then he started to really enjoy it. Like he, he was annoyed at first. There's anyway, I feel like he was working I'm on a different project and he talks to rail who is Dooku's Padawan first oh. and rail suggested or something like that. Yeah. Like I, you I don't remember right. the exact yeah. detail, but I Dooku didn't suggest it. Cause at the time rail talks about how, you know, there was a time when Dooku was really obsessed with these prophecies and studied them all the time. Mm-hmm. And later he decides, you know, not a fan, basically. Yeah. Um, and then Duke, sorry, Qui-Gon goes and begins studying the prophecies. And Duke is something like, oh, I like this again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let us continue reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Duku gets very obsessed with these prophecies. And, you know, we flash forward back to the current time. Qui-Gon's now fallen out of the prophecies and thinks, you know, there's whatever. They're not that big of a deal. Um, and Duku's uh, obsessed. Dooku's, and Duku has left the order entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and and, and then and they give sorry, us more yeah. prophecies too. Then so obviously there's the there's the prophecy of the chosen one, right? Yep, that's everyone. Everyone knows that one, right? A chosen sure. one shall come, born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance in the force be restored. I think it's the first time we've actually heard it. Um, but you know that's the and it's referred to in you know so many times through, through the prequels yes. <laughs> and, and and everything else too. Um, but what's in, what was interesting to me is that they they also showed a number of other prophecies which also came true, which I found very interesting. Uh, it wasn't like oh there was one prophecy and it happened to come true. There were a number like um, and, and they kind of hint at it later in the book that you know they're realizing all these things happened. Um, there was one like she who is born to darkness will give birth to darkness and i wonder mm-hmm. is like is that like leia with you know she was born to darkness anakin Whoa, will give birth to darkness ben uh <sighs> See, this is all tough because and wonders, yeah. is it too on the nose the well, whole well the whole point of the prophecies as well as when they talk about it is you know uh the prophecies are kind of bs right right like and nobody believes them Huh? Nobody, yeah, nobody believes them, or you know, the Jedi Council especially, like, nah, that's that's kind of crap. And then, and that's why in the Phantom Menace, when they're like, oh, the prophecy of the Chosen One, I think this is it. They're like, what? You know? Yeah, it's 
It's tough. Because, like, yeah, that does oh. kind of fit Leia with Anakin and Ben, but, like... Yeah, but It's I, also vague and... I, I hate to say this. I, I read that. I read that as Shmi Skywalker. I really did, because the, the darkness in that point... You were dealing with this book about slavery. Mm. <laughs> and she was a slave. It's true. So there's... No, no, sorry. There's a great irony here as well, because, of course... So part of the novel talks about how, uh, you know... What are prophecies? Well, there was a time there were these Jedi mystics who spent, you know, years communing with the Force to try mm. and understand, and they glimpse visions. And the Jedi Council dismisses them as like, yeah, they were meditating on the Force and they saw various facets of their current reality or the future or whatever. But like, it's all like, you know, they're so vague as to be basically meaningless. Yeah, there's right. nothing like there's nothing to take from them. Um. And oh, I'm uh, I'm blanking on. I had something specific I was about to say, but it just it cracked me up. Like because you you know it, they literally could mean anything, right? Exactly. Anything. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they, they, I, I just got the impression that they were they had inserted a number of other prophecies that that in I'm not sure how I felt. It almost felt a little heavy handed. Like oh, this look at this prophecy that we're going to write that happens to be other parts of Star Wars. You know. Um, but but maybe not. Maybe maybe that's that's not true. I mean, there were a couple other interesting ones, like he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. It mm-hmm. Sounds like maybe some sort of force ghost type of thing. With I don't know. Um, could that could that be a throwaway for the rise of Skywalker? Like quite I mean, on. Yeah, this is like you could interpret yeah, that as or, you know, it's Luke and Ray. Yeah, or Luke and Ray exactly. Right. I just I. <sighs> There are a couple other ones too, like only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. Uh, the danger of the past does not pass, but sleeps in an egg when the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire, the galaxy entire. Like some of these are like, whoa, watch. Are you, okay. you really want these prophecies yeah. to come Sorry, through? That's, you know? so, and the other important piece here is um, there's a prophecy and I do not remember uh, uh, what the, uh, what was it? We didn't write it down, so I don't remember off the top of my oh, head. Sorry, but basically, <laughs> it, no, it's fine. Uh, there's oh, sorry. It talks about when the when the false kite. Uh, it's not even the false kyber. It's like when the false stone of power has been found. Oh, right. uh-huh. You will know the time of prophecy is at hand, which Qui Gon takes to mean oh, they're talking about uh, like because they find false kyber crystals, right? And mm-hmm. therefore, this is the time of prophecy, right? And it's all. BS is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but that's is it? Who is knows? <laughs> okay, but but techni- technically there is a that that false kyber crystal 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 actually helped create the downfall of the black suits. If you look oh, at it from that point of view. Yes. It, but it, it it's, it's a stretch, vague. Stephen. It's a total it's stretch. Vague. It's it vague. Nothing. It's like it's, a fortune cookie. It but could mean anything. Have, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get there now because when it comes to the book, I found this part fascinating. Was uh-huh. the false kyber crystals? Okay, okay, let's talk about it. Yes. Okay, so we all know that the actual kyber crystal powers a Jedi lightsaber. Okay, and the Jedi lightsaber can technically cut through anything except for basically the dark saber. Okay, now you get to a point within this book, you have the black suits. They somehow create this force field around themselves that, believe it or not, can deflect a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah. It and, and I found that fascinating because it's basically kind of tied in. You look at it kind of like tied into this book because, okay, you have Fenry who finally turns on everybody, 
Henry. And it, right. And it ends up being that her, it's her little cadre of military that, um, who was the second in command that, that Qui-Gon read it, that he was an honest man, but he was only following orders. Captain the one Darren that, or. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Darren, I, yeah. yeah. Cause I really think in the end, Captain Darren was only following orders. He really wasn't part of the whole shebang that was going on in the background mm-hmm. with Fenry. Right. So, but there's a point in, and I'm going to get to this now. There's a point in the book where Obi-Wan was told by the Jedi Council because Qui-Gon was not going to sit and be a representative of the Republic to sign this treaty. Obi-Wan had to do it. Oh, that betrayal so Obi-Wan, was so right. well done. Yeah. Obi-Wan had to go and meet with Princess Fenry and tell her, or semi-queen, horinus, whatever, Fenry. Let's just call her princess, because it was like three or four different words just to get to Fenry. Okay. Sure. So he went to go talk to Fenry, and Fenry asked him a very simple, easy question. How do you take apart, or what, if I remember correct, and maybe I got this wrong, but what powers a lightsaber, and can you show me? Or however it's worked out to where Obi-Wan actually starts taking apart his lightsaber. And it's and great because you think it's like an innocent inside. little kid, like, oh, show me your lightsaber. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, Obi-Wan's just like, as as being a Padawan and a kid, hey, what the heck? Let me show you how it works. Okay. Hold that thought there. So later on, a prophecy or a vision that Qui-Gon keeps seeing was the destruction of the chalice or whatever chamber that Fenway was going to have her, her coronation in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is where the whole book just starts going to left field because stuff is happening. Things are exploding. And this is where she comes out, basically tells everybody that, hey, I'm basically the one who's who's putting all this together because nobody believes me that I can actually rule this place. So she's on Adia's with Obi-Wan because I think she had something to his throat, correct? She had him basically good, uh, uh, dead to rights yeah. by either a knife or something to his throat. And he's got his lightsaber to where he really can't, he, he, he can't, really move because for, for fear of, you know, death. Okay. And yep. Qui-Gon can't do anything mm-hmm. because he's outside of this force field that deflects lightsabers. And Qui-Gon knows that. Which is actually a nice parallel to the Phantom Menace where they're reversed, where Qui-Gon's inside and Obi-Wan was outside, unable to do anything and watching his master die. Anyway, and thank continue. you for bringing that up because now that you bring it up, now it clicked. I, I just clicked for me too. I was like, Whoa, that's yeah. so, such yeah. a great parallel. Okay. But please continue. Okay. Okay. So here's Obi-Wan. At a certain point, he actually activates, without being killed, his lightsaber. Mm -hmm. And what happens? The blade turns orange because it wasn't his kyber crystal. It was a colon crystal. It was the false crystal. Yeah. And the fascinating thing about this was he was able to actually take that lightsaber with the false crystal and penetrate because it was was Captain... uh, uh, Dakar, right? Darren. Darren. Darren, okay. Captain Darren was also in this force field as well. Obi-Wan was actually able to take his lightsaber and penetrate the shield that was actually protecting Captain Darren and injure him, not kill him with a lightsaber, but injure him enough to where basically Obi-Wan saved himself, but it showed something that that shield had a weakness mm-hmm. and it was the actual false ky- kyber crystal. Yeah. And that plays in later because down the road, what Fenway was wanting to do was to sell this technology to the highest bidder. But with the Jedi knowledge that this fake Kyber crystal can actually penetrate the shield, 
they're worthless. It now makes that shield worthless. Yeah. Boy, that was a summary, and I'm sorry it took so long. No, that was that was good. That was good. Uh, yeah, I that that was again part of that whole you know climactic ending, which was just so well done because you had these thing these crystals, and they were you know there was a subplot throughout the book which. I'll, I'll admit I was not the biggest fan of, right? Um, I think if there's anything I was, that was the thing that probably was the most boring about the book was this, this subplot originally with these two, um, uh, uh, you know, jewel uh, miners, thieves, or, whatever you want to call yeah. them, right? Pax Marifer and Rahara Wick. They, uh, they, they kind of work together and they, they had this, they're basically like smugglers and they, they would take these, their, their whole shtick was that they would take these, these, rocks from one planet that weren't valuable and they would take them to another planet where they were valuable because you know everyone has different you know everyone appreciates you know one man's trash and man's treasure right um they they uh they would go to these plants and sell them for you know uh, an exorbitant fee and technically it's not allowed according to government you know galactic laws so they kind of smuggle them in on the side but that was how they made their money and so they go to um to pajal and or actually no i think it's the moon pajal's moon um where they find a bunch of these crystal colon crystals and they originally thought they were kyber crystals it turns out they're fakes um but this whole subplot like it was interesting i think pax was raised by uh a a a group of protocol droids and so he has no social skills whatsoever interesting as well yeah that that was fascinating kind of kooky kind of fun it made for him for like very much a like he knew how to interact with people but had no real like no tact emotion or tact at all he was basically like a droid like a human droid um because he was raised by these protocol droids like thinks if c-3po raised someone a kid you know that's pax um so interesting idea, but I kind of found the whole subplot pretty boring. And every time they'd switch back to Paxid Rahara, I was like, "Meh, do I have to read this?" You know, versus like the rest of the plot with Qui Gon and Obi Wan. Like, yes, I'm excited. I love this. this. Is like the old Jedi Apprentice books. Um, so, I'll be honest. I actually like their subplot. Really? Okay. Tell me. Tell me why. Interesting. I, okay. Why? Yeah. I, I don't know. It just it didn't really bother me. I Pax was kind of weird, but like. I thought he was fine generally. Um, and I, I thought Rohara's story is kind of being an ex-slave from Zerka and not wanting to go back mm. and then kind of being captured. Like there was actually some, I thought some good tension and drama there. That That's true. I, I, Hers especially I was good. But when she gets captured at the end of the book and it's like basically sent back to her worst nightmare. Yep. Mm-hmm. That actually, that to me, the subplot, that's where it picked up for me, yeah. was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a little bit slow ahead of then. I, I enjoyed their interaction more, I think, with... Uh, Qui-Gon? Um, with Qui-Gon and yeah. Obi-Wan. Totally agree. They played off each other a little bit better, but... Yeah. But no, actually, you bring up a good point with Rahara, because she was... Um, like you said, she was, a, she was a former slave who escaped, and Pax, yep. Pax, she and Pax are... They're not together but they're like really good like sort of maybe it's they're like almost together it's it yeah i you know. read it as like pax is raised by protocol droids and is a little bit hopeless in that department yeah yep <laughs> exactly yep. but um but you know he's kind of trying to protect her and and she's the last thing she wants to do is go back to circa and she ends up um in order to she basically help qui-gon right she 
she puts herself in a position where she ends up getting captured. And for a moment, you think it's going to be okay. And then you realize that, you know, they have facial recognition and they had, uh, they had a record of her being a slave. And so they, they basically take her as a slave. And that was almost like horrifying when you, when you read that, oh, yeah. and you're like, Oh my gosh, she's, you know, she's been taken again. Uh, and then it has to be, you know, figure out how to, how to, how to escape. Uh, all that, that part of the plot, I, I, I really enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah. I think yeah. for me with their storyline, that's where it picked up was mm-hmm. when they got onto the ship and they had to get in there to break them out. Yeah. 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 And then it kind of became, you know, there was that, uh, originally they were just like wanted to free the slaves. And, um, and as you were mentioning, princess Fannery then decides she wants to just destroy the ship entirely. Um, and, and that's when her, her assistant Katie's like, what are you doing? You're like, no, <laughs> you're <laughs> just no. Yeah. You're, you're not doing, uh, there's some parallels to recent entertainment, but you're not, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you're going overboard. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> if season eight, episode five. <laughs> and leave it at that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, she kind of goes overboard and that's when Katie basically abandons her, you know, and, and, and stuff. But, um, no, I thought that, that all of that was, was was really really well done um mm-hmm. what did you guys think of the flashbacks because we didn't just get we didn't just get qui-gon and obi-wan we actually got dooku and qui-gon i thought they were fine like they didn't they didn't blow me away by any means but they were fine uh, it, it worked and i'll have to say it worked because of the next thing we're going to review and that's why it's just like i probably did that one first and <laughs> went to this one because it actually the it, it worked Okay, it was out of order, but it worked. Yeah, I mean, there. Are, it's actually because Tom, you you actually read these books and you you listened to Dooku Jedi Lost before yes. reading this book. Yeah, I did. Um, uh, and so you kind of got the reverse experience of what mm-hmm. Stephen and I and, have done. Yeah, and and it it worked because I guess for me, since I did that one first, it it made I guess some of the flashbacks kind of made a little bit more sense mm-hmm. um, instead of the vice versa. But then again, I was doing yard work. I had nothing to do, and I decided to listen to him. Sorry, <laughs> it, it was there. It's good. I actually really enjoy how there's a lot of connections between the two, and we'll talk about those yeah. in our review of Jedi Lost. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for my one comment until Jedi uh, Lost because I think that I, I will just say this: the only thing about doing it reverse order, it kind of killed one character for me. And I'll say this: I I didn't mind um, Rail Avros, but mm-hmm. the one thing that before we got into this, I was thinking about the book. Part of me almost wanted to see Quinlan Voss as that character. He, instead I was of just gonna say that he totally reminds me of Quinlan Voss. Yes, yeah. I, I'm I'm sitting there, you know, getting ready to go to work this morning. I'm thinking about the, you know, how we're gonna do this book. And the thing that flashed through my mind is, I think the it's great that you come up with brand new characters within the Jedi Order. Totally great. You can grab on these new characters and run with it. But to me, this felt like. Quinlan Voss would have been the perfect character because he was already established as a loner and sure he didn't have a Padawan, but he, to me, he would have also worked. I don't know if he would have worked. Yeah. I think the problem is we we wanted, they wanted the dynamic with Qui-Gon as well, where it had to be Qui-Gon's former apprentice and you know, Quinlan already has a master. Right. And and I, I can see why they did it this way, but that was the one thing that ran through my head. If they didn't want that, that dynamic, Voss would have been a good character to replace uh, Avros in this, if that would have been the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, you know, speaking of of that though, so I I will say, as a as a fan of the Jedi Apprentice books, I was a little disappointed that uh, it kind of seems to they they strongly imply that Rael Avaros is the first Padawan that Dooku has, which kind of closes the door on Xanatos, the the excellent uh, Qui Gon's first Padawan who ends up turning yep. to the dark side. But I feel like they have Rael and and Xanatos definitely seem to share some qu- qualities at least some. Um, so I, I'm not aware. I, I know of a different Xanatos because of a animated cartoon series uh, that was on from <laughs> Disney, but I was not aware that Xanatos was part of Dooku. Yeah, and no, well, it's not Dooku. It's, it's part Qui-Gon. of Qui-Gon. Well, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon whatever. Qui-Gon's yeah. apprentice, first apprentice is Xanatos, who goes evil-ish, dark Jedi-ish. Right. I mm. vaguely recall this. I think I think Obi Wan kills him. Yes. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah, there's this big. I mean, it, it, he's basically the the main antagonist throughout the Jedi Apprentice mm-hmm. uh, books. Um, and I, he's such a cool character. But and the other thing I think was a little disappointing. And again, you know, those are legends now, so it's not a big deal. But uh, I always thought it was fascinating that in uh, originally in Obi Obi Wan's backstory was that you know he he basically was not selected as a as an apprentice, uh, mm-hmm. and then when you hit the age of fourteen, I believe. Uh, this is in the in legends. If you hit the age of fourteen, you um, basically if no one no master picks you, they're like, well, thanks for trying. You're gonna go work for the ag- agricultural corps, um, and uh, and basically like be a farmer and use your whatever force powers you learn to kind of help farm, and that's about it. Go yep. have fun. That's kind of boring and depressing. Uh, yeah, it was. It that was kind of the whole point of the first novel. It, it was it's yeah. boring and depressing. And, and, and Obi Wan's like didn't really want to do it, but yeah, and Obi Wan's like he's being sent to this, and he like this is the last thing he wanted because he wants to be a Jedi. He's like feels like he's failed, and at the last minute, like as he's on his way to this planet, you know, he's actually like start, arrives at the planet, starts like settling in. He meets Qui Gon, and kind of kind of Qui Gon basically takes him as his apprentice, and they kind of go from there, mm. and. I think it's pretty clear that that is no longer the case as well. Um, but aside from that, a lot of the, I felt like a lot of the, the rest of their backstory uh, still, still fits uh, in, in, in many ways, aside from those two big things, Xanatos and the agricultural corpse. Mm. But uh, again, as a big, huge fan of the Jedi apprentice books, it was a little sad to see, but I get why. And I, I can't expect all of those to be adhered to but the spirit of them was was still there. That dynamic between Qui-Gon and, and, and Obi-Wan was still there. Mm. Um, okay, so a, a question at this point, since we've kind of touched on Dooku a bit, when it gets to the end of the book, when Dooku, it, what, Dooku contacted Avros, if I remember correct, right? Did you get the yeah. feeling when Dooku <laughs> approached him at the end of the book that if Avros would have taken him up on the on his offer, he would have ended up being the Darth Maul going forward. Yeah, I think he probably been like you know like the Asajj Ventress type okay. character. It was interesting that right that that Avaros, uh gets a call from Dooku and Dooku yeah. he's left the Jedi Order now, and Dooku's like, "Yo, come on, join me," and he's like, "Nah, I'm good," and it just ends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. That's it. Yeah, that that's what I thought was funny. It's just how just like you know, hang up the phone, click, done. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was very, very interesting. Also, there's a, there's a, there's this point in the book where, uh, Dooku is almost starting to lose himself in the, in the old holocrons, you know, 
Uh, sorry, it's right in the past of he is losing himself. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. In the past, right? Um, he 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 wasn't. He obviously didn't completely lose himself, but he gets like sucked into these, right? And he 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 even tells Qui Gon, "Don't ignore the holocrons. They're and the and the prophecies. They're they're nothing." All right, and Qui Gon kind of leaves, and then behind Qui Gon's back, he starts, you know, opening these up and 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 reading the holocrons again secretly. And Qui Gon walks into his into Dooku's uh, apartment at one point and sees all these holocrons spread around yeah. him, um, which is such a cool idea. It kind of shows how he's you know starting maybe maybe get pulled more and more toward the dark side, but. That's what gave me that. That's why you, you in our in our review, our, our the first half of our celebration recap, when I theorized that maybe the Emperor coming back in the Rise of Skywalker is a holocron. That's what made me think of that. Maybe mm. it's something like that, where he's you know the Emperor is not really back, but he's you know messing with Kylo Ren in a similar way as Dooku being sucked into these holocrons. Interesting theory. Yeah. I'm, but who knows? Yeah, Curious. we'll know in December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's or in 2022. <laughs> 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 it's gonna be the uh, the Emperor Palpatine trilogy. Um, I'm kidding, but yeah, I, I mean, I just think this whole book was 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 very, very well done. Have we missed anything? I'm trying to think if we've. I'm sure we have, but yeah. it's a what 400 page book, yeah. so <laughs> I, I'm sure there is. I think it's okay that we missed maybe one or two things. We covered the highlights for mm-hmm. sure. We, we did, yeah, we did, yeah. Oh, they also hinted um, at didn't they? Remind me, uh, I could be wrong. I feel like they hinted at a past relationship for Qui Gon too. They did. You're right. Sorry, right, which was a nice uh, yeah. reference to Tall on, uh, as well. He talks about some things on Felucia and that he brought back a um, like a memoir almost. Yeah. It was very intriguing. Yeah, which I appreciated well. Again, because you know, in Jedi Apprentice, there was this whole thing with with Qui Gon and Tall, and just like you know, Obi Wan yep. and Sabine, uh, Sabine, Satine. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be wow. a little weird. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, uh, Obi Wan yeah. and Satine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Qui Gon and Tall. Right. They all kind of struggle with this, and eventually, you know, get through it and decide to to stay with the Jedi. But um, I, I appreciate that they they. They didn't name who it was, but part of me is like, oh, maybe that was tall, right? <laughs> it could be. They, they leave it open. They leave it open to interpretation. It could be tall. And I, I wonder if that was intentional on Claudia Gray's part to try to say, like, we're not going to name who it was, but maybe. Maybe it was tall. Maybe it not. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we'll find out maybe in another book if there was a sequel to this one. Yeah. Because really, yeah, really, they kept this open to where they could write more, yeah. more with these two. And I hope they, they really do. did. Absolutely. I so hope they do. I love the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan stories. Again, I'll full admit part of it's probably nostalgia, but no, it's uh I love There's them. I, I think there's something there where the fact that there's not much that they need to keep hidden for Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's story. We kind of know what happens to both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we like nothing they tell us about their past at this point is going to make a difference. So there's no, a, now we know the Jedi council piece. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a certain amount of freedom and especially because there's not uh, like when you look at it, like bloodlines, bloodlines has a lot of things where it's like, I feel like we're, we're talking and seeing a story without with 
very specific pieces of it pulled away because mm. you know it's not time for us to discover these things yet. Right. Right. Um, even well, the worry they like, might possibly like, deal with them later. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the Leia book feels very much like, um, you know, it's said in the past, but it's really trying to set up a bunch of things for the future um, mm-hmm. around like some of the relationships that she has and things like that. So like it's it's a self-contained story, but it's not it doesn't go as far as, you know, they want to. Right. Um, and you compare contrast that here where you're just like, oh, this is a complete story. We're getting new facts about characters that we all kind of know and love, but don't aren't going to impact us directly like it just it was it really was just a just a nice feeling Mm -hmm. and literally they could have the two of them go on adventures up until you know um until uh phantom menace they could write whatever any adventures what would have killed it which we all would have known that it would never have happened is if qui-gon ended up being on the jedi council then you could have told the story about who would have been the actual master to Obi-Wan at that point? But we know that's moot right. because we know that Qui-Gon was, was his master. So, right. yeah. And I, I hope, I mean, they, they, they end the story by jumping to after Qui-Gon's funeral. Right. Uh, where, where, when Obi-Wan finally takes on his own apprentice and it kind of ties into the prophecy of the chosen one and, uh, and kind of, kind of going full circle, but there's no reason why they still can't tell more. Like we've seen that. That that's in the that's in the Phantom Menace. There's no reason why they can't tell more stories in between mm-hmm. that as well. And I, I yeah. really hope they do. Although Claudia Gray has also expressed interest in doing uh, a book about HK forty seven and other Knights of the Republic characters. So that I'd would be, be more pretty, than happy with that too. That would also be pretty amazing. <laughs> Honestly, I like, just love. <laughs> I would just love Knights of the Old Republic. I, I that's my hope. Yeah. Next trilogy is Knights of the Old Republic. That really is my hope. We'll we'll see. Well, but yeah. so far, like everything Claudia Gray has written has been like enjoyable, wonderful. Yeah, uh, particularly this one in Lost Stars. And so I'm uh, very I much like looking Lost forward Stars. to whatever she does next, whether it's another Qui Gon and Obi Wan story, which I would love, or some other story set in some other part of the galaxy. <clears throat> Gotar. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get on to the ratings? Let's. Yeah, I think, let's I think we're it. ready. Steven? Okay. Ooh, okay. Kick um, things off. I'm going to have to give this nine and a half Wombrats out of ten. Ooh. It was. It's wow. good. It, it was the first Star Wars book I've read in a long time where I actively was like, I could. Instead of doing this other thing, I'm going to go and read Star Wars. And that. It's been a long time since I've really felt that. Uh, and just, so I have to read this highly. Like, it is just a good Star Wars book. And you should read it if you have not already. Um, but yeah, like, it's just it's just solid. It's enjoyable. Like, the characters are good. The story is good. I don't, I don't There was nothing bad in it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So nine and a half out of ten. Uh, and my Womp Rats are, uh, they're part of Fanry's army. That's, you You want to know who the men in the black suits were, where they weren't men at all. <laughs> wow. Long live the queen. <laughs> nice. Queen of the Womp, womp Rats. Queen, queen of the Womp Rats, exactly. Jeez. <sighs> I guess I'll go next. I'll volunteer. Okay. I, I'm, I'm giving this book an eight. I, I thought it was a solid book. It did take me a while to get moving into it. But once I got to a certain point, 
I, I, I couldn't put it down. I actually, this past weekend finished half the book in the weekend. Yeah. So that's awesome. it, it, yeah, it did pick itself up at a certain point. Um, right now, anything Claudia Gray has been writing, I'm really enjoying. I, if I had to put this in front of Lost Stars, I probably would put Lost Stars in front of this one right now. So, uh-huh. yeah, I really, Stephen, you got to read Lost Stars. I, I'll get there. Yeah, get there. <laughs> I, I, I can, I can send you my copy if need be. So, I am uh-huh. going to take my eight Womp Rats. And I'm going to have them mining for fake kyber crystals because they have a feeling they can still make money off of those crystals. Ah, nice. yeah, yeah. Even though the Jedi have proven it wrong, the these womp rats definitely feel they'll be able to make some money out of it. What they're going to buy, I don't know. They're womp rats. Wow, that's not important. They're womp rats. They're womp rats. That's, that's true. That is all that matters. <laughs> that's true. So. Oh, okay. Uh, I got to give this a, a nine out of 10 Womp Rats as well. Um, man, it was a great, I really enjoyed the book. I, I think the the early early threads with Pax and Rahara were a little hard to get into, but then, but the rest of the book was just fantastic. And in the later parts with Rahara uh, and Pax were, were really good too. So I think it's just the early moments the twist at the end i did not see coming at all uh even though you know kind of looking back i could see how claudia gray set it up um i still didn't expect it so that was brilliantly done and just you know the uh, the dynamic with qui-gon and the council and the relationship between qui-gon and obi-wan everything all all was just well done so perfect so perfectly and uh you know again i have that nostalgia for this era and these characters and so it was really like kind of coming home to where I started my star, you know, star Wars books, uh, fandom. Uh, and so I'm definitely gonna give this nine and a half womp rats out of 10. Um, well, as I'm sure, you know, there is this prophecy that says the danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. You know what sleeps in an egg, these nine womp rats, and they will threaten the galaxy. Oh, Oh, good one. That's gotta, gotta watch out. Good one. Because <laughs> when, when that egg cracks, whew, those womp rats will threaten the galaxy entire. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. So please do not crack the egg. No. Don't crack it. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> no matter okay. what they tell you, do All not. All right. Let's, let's bring it back a notch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we have to talk about what's coming up on the next podcast, don't we? Yes, Tom. What is what are, we'll be talking about next time? Well, I think we're going to be talking about Dooku Jedi Lost, and this is basically about Darth Tyrannus, or the Count of Sereno, leader of the Separatists, a red lightsaber unsheathed in the dark. But who is he? Before he became the right hand of the Sith, as Dooku courts a new apprentice, the hidden truth of the Sith Lord past Sith Lord's past begins. To come to light. As you can tell, this is the synopsis. Um, Dooku's life began as one privileged born within the stony walls of his family's estate, ordered by the, yeah, orbited by the funeral moon where the bones of his ancestors lie interned. But soon his Jedi abilities are recognized and he is taken from home to be trained in the ways of the forest by the legendary Master Yoda. As he hones his power, Dooku rises through the ranks, befriending fellow Jedi Sifo-Dyas and taking a Padawan of his own, a promising Qui-Gon Jinn, and tries to forget the life that he once led. 
But he finds himself drawn to a strange fascination with the Jedi Master Len Cortana and the mission she undertakes uh, for the Order, finding and studying the ancient relics of the Sith in preparation for the eventual return of the deadliest enemies the Jedi have ever faced. Caught between the world of Jedi, the ancient responsibilities of his lost home, and alluring power of the relics, Dooku struggles to stay in the light even as the darkness begins to fall. Mm-hmm. And this is a uh, 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 this is the first audiobook that Del Rey has, uh, like, like full audio, not just audiobook, but audio mm-hmm. drama production, like a full cast. Uh, it was really like high production values. It was done uh, very well. Uh, yeah, it was done very well. It was very much like the old Brian Daly uh, audio dramas that were just so good back in the what early ni- late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Um, so I'm excited. Also, not a Halo tie-in. <laughs> I was going to say, I Lean Costana, not Cortana. But, uh, but, you know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, sorry I'm sorry. You, you know what? It's giving you a hard time, Tom. I did not, sorry, I did not have my glasses on. I did this to where... <laughs> I threw it to you unexpected. But yeah, it's, but you know, the, you the Master Chief well walks around the corner. Thank you. I mean, and, I, uh, I literally am just like, I really had a hard time reading this without glasses. So I'm sorry about the Cortana thing. <laughs> no, no, I almost no. Said, I almost said Lawrence Artaco. Lawrence Artaco. I almost said that one. <laughs> Oh, so, just giving you a hard time, but uh, no, that's okay. You know, then uh, Master Chief walks around the corner and says, "Finishing this fight." <laughs> <laughs> and I don't uh, even play anyway. Halo. Anyway, anyway, I'm excited to talk about this one too. It's a it's a really fun one, and it ties in nicely with Master and Apprentice. Yeah. So, so. if I were you, don't be me. And listen to that first, and then read Master Apprentice. Read Master Apprentice first, and then listen to the audiobook. Yes. Well, that's yeah. why we record. We read them in this order. So, that's true. Yeah. Um, and with that, I think we're we're done. We'll be back uh, hopefully next week, but if not, fairly soon with our review of Dooku Jedi Lost. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, IonCannonCast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at IonCannonCast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.